for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. We have had so many members of the class of 95. We finally have one from 96. He is maybe the first elected official we've had on the podcast. And I mean that in two ways. He has held public office and he is also, uh, the as of the time of this recording, the president of the National Alumni Association of Syracuse University, Mr. Ryan McNaughton. Welcome to the show. At ease, John. Thank you for that humble intro. It's it's absolutely my pleasure to be with you, and thank you for doing this series. It's uh, it, it's humbling just to listen to all of these, and I, I I've listened to so many. And you yeah, you know, it's one thing to think maybe you you left a little bit of a mark, but then you listen to all the folks you've talked to, and you realize how truly insignificant you are. <laughs> Just listen to all the talent and the history and the struggles and the battle and the successes, even some of the failures. Yeah. So to be just a, a, a minor blip on the radar screen of so many big folks on the scope that is JPZ, uh, I, I appreciate you having me. Well, the running theme throughout this is that we are one big family of 50 years of alumni, and you are certainly a part of that family, and I'm thrilled to have you. We'll start at the beginning, Ryan. How did you Cleveland guy end up at Syracuse? You know, my story kind of started, I was, I was 15 years old, and it's one of those things, you know how, you know, there's moments in your life you say, you can remember when. And, and for most folks like my age, yeah, I can remember when President Reagan was shot. I remember being in like my parents' living room when I was seven. Mm-hmm. So I'm 15 years old. I'm a sophomore at Marion L. Steele High School in Little Amherst, Ohio. And there was a show on ESPN, and I think it was This Week in Baseball. It was something like that. And they, they dedicated a segment to sports broadcasters, but specifically uh, sports broadcasters that came from this place called the Newhouse School. Oh, what producer made that call to do a segment on that? That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm laying on my, my rather large stomach in my parents' living room at 15 years of age, and I'm watching this. <laughs> and keep in mind, this is 1989, and cable was not quite in every household at that point. Sure. Uh, but our local Amherst, Ohio City cable station was at the high school, so I knew that. So long story short, I watched this, and I vividly remember I, I stood up, and I turned around to my mom and dad, and I said, Mom, Dad, that's what I want to do, and that's where I want to learn to do it at. Wow. So for the next three years, everything I did in high school, whether it was academics, I got involved in the TV station, and I did, you know, they put a 15-year-old on television, John, doing football, play-by-play, basketball. We did wrestling. We did everything. Everything I did was to try to get into Syracuse. And even then I figured, I'm a kid from 30 minutes west of Cleveland. There's a, there's a cornfield across the street from where I'm growing up. <laughs> They'll never choose me. And as luck would have it, they chose me. Uh, and the rest is history. So you were in new, uh, except in the new house uh, right out of the gate? Yeah, new house right out of the gate. Thank goodness for the uh, financial aid package that came in. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, if, if not for scholarships and grant and work studies, uh, uh, I, I probably would have been to one of the many fine state institutions that Ohio has. So truly some, some, some. I would have been at the University of Massachusetts yeah, Amherst. I, I am right there with you. <laughs> I, I was accepted into the script school at Ohio University as well. A tremendous institution that that's where I would have gone. But uh, I, I am so grateful to, to have had the chance to go to Syracuse. 
Please. Okay, so you knew about Sportscaster U, so to speak, and, and, and the reputation that preceded it. How did you find WJPZ when you got to campus? Well, I imagine it's it, it's like a lot of a lot of folks you talk to, maybe even yourself, you know, flyers. Yeah. You know, I saw a flyer on campus that said, hey, informational meeting at uh, HBC Monday or Tuesday night, show up. So myself and I think one or two other guys on my floor, we walked over and I just, I love the vibe. I felt very relaxed, even though I walked in extraordinarily intimidated. And uh, <laughs> I believe at that point, uh, Ryan Raffensperger was the new general manager, mm-hmm. found out he was a sports guy. So immediately I went and introduced myself to him and he introduced me to some folks. And uh, they really put me at ease and they said, hey, if you're really interested in doing this, go to the station, just show up, get yourself seen. Yeah. Which I did. You know, at that point, they were doing a nightly show called Sports Wrap, Monday through Friday at 11 o'clock. It was about a 10 to 15 minute show. Mm-hmm. So one of my floor mates who became one of my roommates, John Prue, good old Juice, Juice and I walked to the station and Randy Stern is at the station preparing for Sports Wrap. And we just kind of introduced ourselves and said, we're here to shadow you. Don't know if you know that. And, and he welcomed us with open arms and probably for the next five to six weeks, we did that every weeknight. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. We knew Randy was doing the show. We'd go, we'd watch, and we'd learn. Uh, and then it just started building from there. And uh, about a month in, my voice was on the air for the first time with a high school sports show called Press Box. Yep. And, uh, and I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. So tell me through what you did in your tenure at the station, Ryan. Was it all sports or was there any music or what did, what did you do there? So it was primarily sports, uh, but for two years I, I did co-host the, the morning show. <laughs> uh, was the crazy morning crew. Eventually, I think it was rebranded Mad Dogs in the morning. Oof. Uh, and, and there was a stretch, was a semester, I was doing the morning show twice <laughs> a week, which really was, was foolishness on my part because <laughs> you know, years ago I, I took a look back at some of my old transcripts and it was very, very evident which semesters I was getting up at 5.15 a.m. twice a week, as opposed to when I was just doing, you know, evening sports casts and weekend sports, uh, sports items. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I think it, it made me a much better broadcaster. It made me a much better communicator uh, as I grew older because... Again, that was something that took me out of my comfort zone. I always thought, I'm going to go to Syracuse, I'm going to go to a new house, I'm going to be a sports guy, and I'll be very happy being a sports guy. And then I started doing these morning shows. And, you know, when you're around the likes of guys like like John Beck, who's now uh, an uber-successful Hollywood writer for the Disney Channel, and, uh, you know, Mike Murphy, who's a yeah. seemingly 30-time New Hampshire sportscaster of the year, and Brian Gewertz, who who is now like The Rock's right-hand guy who writes everything for him. Like, these are the people I was surrounded with on the morning show. I co-hosted with them. Mike Connor, who him and I just clicked early on for some inexplicable reason. Uh, And he was my co-host for most of the time. And, uh, you know, he's now very successful at the NFL Network. Just a a tremendously gifted broadcaster. Yeah. Uh, Steve Donovan. I, th- I think we know that guy. <laughs> you, you know, when you do three or four hours with a guy like Steve Donovan, you, if you walk out of that on-air booth worse, <laughs> that's on you. That's not on him. The only thing that's worse is probably your jaw hurts from laughing. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so that was kind of my tenure. It was primarily sports. 
uh, from sportscast to uh, I spent three years as the uh, executive producer for Orange Women Basketball, and, and there's a lot of great stories there. Uh, Press Box, a high school sports show for a couple of years, uh, and then Morning Show. Uh, I, I tried to do sales for a hot minute. Admirable, you tried. Uh, failed miserably and, and grew such an appreciation for, for the folks who actually did that and, and kept us all afloat, quite honestly. Agreed. Ryan, you've mentioned so many names already in this podcast. Other folks from your time at JPC stick out on your memory? Yeah, that's a great question, John. Yeah, you know, when you come in as a, a, a first-year student, uh, you know, that first meeting I went to, I, I met so many folks. I mean, I, I mentioned Ryan Raffensperger, but... I did my best to assimilate with the rest of the station, too. Dave Goram, I thought, was 40 years old the first time I met him. Yeah. He was just so (laughs) seasoned and professional and wise beyond his years. And someone had to tell me, no, no, he's not like like a faculty advisor, Ryan. He's a student. (laughs) And I was floored, kind of embarrassed. I'm like, man, I can only dream of being that, that, uh, composed in confidence and wise uh, at any age. Uh, so, you know, guys like Dave Gorep, uh, Betty Keston, you know, Goofy Betty, who uh, she's not as goofy as this, the name would be, but I developed a strong friendship with Betty. People have always called me an old soul. So I think immediately I was gravitating towards the juniors and seniors at the station, uh, the Mark Kindermans and the, the, the Dan Kramers and the Mike Tassells and the A.D. Vernons and Randy Stern, Brian Madeira, Derek Snow, uh, just so many people, Neon Dion, you know, people that you knew. Like Neon Dion, you knew. The first time you met him, like, oh yeah, this, this he's a superstar. Oh yeah. There, there's nothing this this cat ain't gonna be able to accomplish in his life. And, and he's proven us absolutely right. Right. You know, Eric Reinhardt, who, who was a, a tremendous mentor to me in the sports department, even to the point where Eric Stangl, who would eventually go on to be an enormously successful writer for Letterman and TV show producer. We were news and sportscast partners at three o'clock on Tuesdays. I'd be at my little part of the desk doing a sports report, and there's Eric Stangle, who, again, I knew was going to be a rock star, Hmm. writing a newscast at the same time. So, uh, and I know there's so many other names that I'm forgetting, uh, and I apologize, but... Uh, yeah, they were so important, not only to me, but I just think that the growth of the station as a whole. Awesome. I mean, you were there in the heyday of a lot of things at the radio station, but you mentioned the Orange Women Basketball. It's something I want to get more of on in this podcast. Tell me a story or two if you remember from Orange Women Basketball. <laughs> so so here's how I, I, I would say it, you know, and I, I say this with, with, with love for everybody, including uh, uh, my colleagues. I always say like, the truly talented sports broadcasters were down the dial at AER. Yeah. And this is, and now keep in mind, this is when there actually was a rivalry. You know, I go back to campus now and I meet all these students and they're like, oh, I'm at JPZ and I do AER and I do all this. I'm like, wait a minute, there's no rivalry? Like, what do you mean this is kumbaya? This is a different world for me. I think it was Scott McFarland because I think once we realized, uh, AER and JPZ realized they could share Scotty McFarland. That was probably a thaw in the, in the, in the Cold War. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> So this is still when, you know, we had, you know, we had nukes aimed at each other at about right. the Shine we, Student Center, yeah, about which the halfway is kind of yeah, in yeah. between where both of our studios were. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so I, I will say that that Orange Women Basketball brought me 
not only some of my best friendships, but some of my best memories. And this was an era where we were really the only media entity, not, not students, the only media entity in all of central New York right. that gave that program any coverage. I mean, we treated them like they were a professional organization, even though the on-court product may have been suspect at best. <laughs> like We treated that like a full-time job. We treated those athletes, they were Division I scholarship athletes, and by God, we were going to give them the best broadcast that we could. The problems were on our end, specifically, usually with technology. Yeah. <laughs> you could do an entire podcast. If you could interview the old Comrex oh, for one of your episodes. If this Comrex could talk. <laughs> that thing was the size of a bus <laughs> and operated with the legitimacy and frequency probably of a decommissioned World War II tank. <laughs> uh, this thing would operate when it wanted to. And when you're on the road mm. and that thing goes out, this is pre-cell phones, pre-texting, someone back in Syracuse had to get a hold of you, which usually meant calling the media number on press row for the home sports information director saying, uh, excuse me, uh, we know there's a game going on. Can you tell the Syracuse sports broadcasters they're off the air and they need to find a landline now to continue broadcasting the game? That happened more, that happened more times than I can tell you. Oh my God. So the equipment was something that at that point, North Koreans would scoff at. <laughs> we have made all kinds of international references so far, my friend. Yeah, but I will tell you, I wouldn't trade it in for the world. The, the road trips, we drove. We basically drove everywhere when we couldn't hitch a ride with the team bus. Mm -hmm. The bus rides would save us a lot of times. You know, a group of us, it was me, it was Mike Murphy, it was Raff, Raffensperger, and I think it was Ray Curran. We did a 34-hour round-trip drive to Memphis and back for a two-day tournament. Oh. 17 down, 17 back, two losses, back on the road, heading back. And even the shorter road trips, if it was a Big East game, it'd be a five- or six-hour drive, John. Oh, yeah. And... By the time we'd get back in the middle of the night, the team was already back sleeping, you know, because they a lot of times they flew. Mm -hmm. And then we had class in the morning. Uh. Or sometimes we'd be hosting a morning show in three hours and would have to get back to the station, right? Uh, but, but by far, the quintessential JPZ story for me is January 2nd, okay. 1996. <sighs> so... Syracuse is hosting number two UConn. So it's two days after New Year's and it was typically sports guys and orange women broadcasters. Like we would give up half of our Christmas breaks to go back and basically run the station because everybody else is home yeah. and the team played. So we would, you know, we'd be home for maybe eight, nine days and we black Syracuse uh, when the campus was desolate. So I drove back on January 2nd, lake effect snow from Northeast Ohio, all up and down the throughway. So it mm. took me seven hours, about seven and a half hours. Got up there enough time at my off-campus place at Livingston to clean up, throw a suit. Mm -hmm. So it's me and Phil Soto Ortiz. Three days prior, John, the Orange Rim played Duke on the road and lost by 44 points. 44, no less. That's a very important part of this story. Now, in comes number two, UConn. They are the defending national champs. I think they went undefeated the year before. They're yeah. just a behemoth, kind of like they still are, right? It's Geno and it's Lobo. They're rock stars in the world of women's basketball. Syracuse wins. Wow. Syracuse wins 62-59. Wow. Again, in an era before social media, yeah. before every game was broadcast live. It wasn't on the ACC network or the Big East network at that time. Like, nobody knew except us. Wow. And, and we go extended post game, and it's just, it's surreal. So at the end of the broadcast, 
to this day, and I want to put this on my, my tombstone. I remember my call, my sign off. It was words to the effect of, and let it be known on a cold, snowy, early January night in Syracuse, New York, David has once again beaten Goliath. Good night, everyone. Yes! So we pack up and we go back to the station and I'm thinking, career making demo. I'm going to get my dream division one basketball play-by-play job out of this tape because that was, and actually kind of still is my dream at 48. I'd do D1 basketball tomorrow if I got the call. Sure. So we get back to the station. Again, very important. It's January 2nd. It's break. And we get back and Phil, Soto Ortiz and I were like fighting each other to get the tape out of that old cassette. Cassette tapes is what we recorded these games on, right? Of course. And we get the tape. And we put it in the uh, the player in the back room at the old station. And it sounds like the... Oh, no. It was break. The tape deck had broke over break and nobody knew. Oh, Ryan. Oh, so, I'm heartbroken here hearing this story. Oh, oh, it hurts. And it's so true. So we're sitting there like, well, we'll always have the memories. And we can always mention this in job interviews, but we won't have the audio. And I think, Phil, somewhere in Pennsylvania has those tapes. And if Phil Sordo Ortiz listens to this, uh, send me the tapes. I am hell-bent on trying to get those repaired at some point in my life. But I was gonna I was gonna ask if you had the audio, but maybe we with technology, how far technology's come in 20 years, I think we might be able to restore it. Yeah. So that was that was like it went from career defining to utter deflation in the span of about 20 minutes from the time we left Manly Fieldhouse, got back to Watson and hit that tape. So uh, I, I'm very happy that technology has changed. So the, the broadcasters of today and tomorrow will not suffer the same, you know, the, this thrill of victory and the agony of defeat so personally, so quickly, like we did that night. Oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm speechless. That, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting here wincing, <laughs> hearing that story. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't even know how to transition here, but let's try. And also among your many claims to fame, Ryan, if do I have this right? You were the first voice on the pulse when it flipped? It's probably why the Pulse era didn't last that long. That, that is true. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's probably not how uh, the powers that be, uh, Jeff and Dan really wanted that to play out. But so we had a big event right before everyone went home for the break of the countdown and, you know, the ceremonial switching to the Pulse. And the premise was we're going to go off the air or everyone's going on break. So they just had nothing but pre-recorded messaging. You know, and the all during break. Yep, yep. Well, again, sports had to be live during breaks. And kind of the first live event was a Syracuse Orange Wind basketball game right before Christmas in 95. Oh. Uh, they, played, they played in Cincinnati against Kentucky for some reason. And since I was in Ohio, uh, I'm like, well, I'll drive down. I'll do the game. I think Ray Curran came down with me. So I vividly remember it. I don't think it hit me until we were on press row and we're getting ready. And I turned to Ray. I'm like, Ray, uh, I don't think anybody's been on our air since we left town. I think we're the first ones. And he kind of looked at me. He goes, oh, wow. Well, that's kind of weird. I'm like, it's really weird that basketball broadcasters are going to christen the era of the pulse. So 
sure enough, we went on the air and, and I, I let us off. I'm like, uh, you know, hey, welcome to Orange Wind Basketball on the Pulse. Uh, you know, and I, I tried to come up with something weird, but I'm like, yeah, you'd probably rather be listening to the Friday Night Party right now, guys. But this is what you have. This is a, you know, same, same great quality content that you've expected from us, but different branding and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Ryan McNaughton was the first voice on the pulse. Uh, and it was kind of surreal because we had such a, a big event in studio. I was inside the studio when they, they kind of did it. We all counted down and uh, it's just... It was weird times, you know, 90s, mid-90s music was, was quite interesting. Yes, for sure. Uh, but, but, but leave it to the sports department to have to usher in the era of the Pulse. Add that to the long list of many interesting nuggets we have uncovered in this podcast. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. Tell me about life after Syracuse, because you have had one of the more fascinating journeys of our alumni, and and and, and you know you, you had similar beginnings as a lot of our guests, wanting to be a sportscaster, go to Syracuse, etc. But your path since has been a lot different than a lot of the guests we've had. Well, at some point, when I figure out what I want to do when I grow up, I'll have more <laughs> of a linear story. But I spent a good fifteen years in the business, so my 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 first full time job in the business was up in the state of Michigan, up in a little place called Cairo, Michigan. And how I can always prove where I worked is I can use my, my hand. I, I point to my thumb and say, that's my station. And then I point to where about my index finger is. I said, but I lived in Saginaw Township. And they're like, okay, you're legit. Yeah. You, know, you, you, know, you know what to do. So I, I got a job up there in November of 96 as a, a primarily a news guy. They did sports, but the uh, the local yokel who was a sports guy there was was a little intimidated by my background and never gave me a shot to do sports. Yeah. Uh, that gig lasted about four months, and it wasn't because of me. It was because, and here's a great broadcast story, my boss at the time who owned the station did not tell me in the job interview that he was six figures deep into the internal revenue service. Oh, jeez. And this is after I'd signed a year lease and moved everything up, so... Uh, so that was a welcome to the business. Yeah. Uh, and I took a pay cut to move up there. I was temping at a pretty nice trucking company of all places, but I wanted to live the dream. Uh, so that was part of it. So a couple months later, I'm right back home with my parents in Amherst, Ohio, trying to figure out next steps. And I, uh, I interned for the Cleveland Browns. This is after they moved to Baltimore, but the NFL had awarded them a franchise. So I, I worked in the communications department and they did a weekly radio show. So I was helping with some of their stuff behind the scenes, uh, worked at a TV station at the desk. And then a buddy of mine said, hey, uh, the 50,000 watt flamethrower in town, uh, WTAM, they're looking for a, a sports guy. And he worked the, he worked the, uh, the board over there and said, uh, Mike Snyder's a sports director who I knew Mike. He's like, Set, give him a tape. Uh, and I sent it. Didn't get a job there, but he forwarded me on to WKNR, which was the all-support station in town. Uh, they hired me part-time, uh, and that led to a nice eight-year run in my hometown. You know, my goal was to work in Cleveland by the time I was 30. 
when I got hired full time, I was 23 and fairly sure I was the youngest full time yeah. radio or television sports reporter in the market. So I was ahead of the curve and I, I, I was thrilled. So I worked at KNR for a long time, uh, did a, uh, actually did a national talk show for a year at the same time. And you know, if you go up and down the dial now with, with sports betting so prevalent, uh, you wouldn't think that 20 years ago it was still taboo. It was. Oh, yeah. So a guy I knew when I was doing an internet sports talk show, pre-internet boom, a guy by the name of Sean Griffin was uh, working for a company out of Chicago who he had an investor. He's like, I got an idea for you. He wants to do a sports radio network that's focused on sports, but with a gambling side. Are you interested? Huh. I'm like, all right, tell me more. So I vetted it through my bosses and they said, look, we'll give you a, a 9 to 11 a.m. show every day. We'll get you a, a, an actual working Comrex as opposed to the JPZ Comrex. <laughs> so I was able to do a show in the living room of the place we rented in Lakewood, Ohio. Turn that thing off at 11, drive to my full-time job. It was great. It was great extra money. It was primarily on the internet. We were on in a couple of markets, like on tape delay, I think Boston and St. Louis. Maybe nine people heard us, John, I don't know. But I look back at it. The timing was wrong. Like 20 years ago, these folks who started this were so far ahead of the game. Yeah. And now VSIN radios everywhere and Musburger's doing it. And, you know, the, the point spreads are legitimately a thing. I took this serious. Like it was a legitimate sports talk show with calls and guests. I interviewed Richard Petty. Uh, we didn't talk gambling on NASCAR races, obviously. You know, Jim Cott, Clark Kellogg, like we had legitimate guests and it was primarily sports. Sure. But I'd also talk about the Lions from time to time, pre previewing games that night. But we were just 10, 15 years early, I guess. It's like when you're in Top 40 Radio. I learned this at my first radio station when you know a song is going to be a hit, but you're on it too early. And you, and you, can, be, you can do something great. But if the rest of the world doesn't ready to catch up, you might not do so well. And then if you, you wish you could have done it later. Timing is everything in life. The older you get, whether business or personal, et cetera. So you're, you're absolutely right. So fast forward, I, I, I moved back to Syracuse to be with my now wife. Yeah. Uh, she was starting actually her doctoral degree at Syracuse. And I got a job in TV up there as a producer. Made, what, my, uh, made my way to sports was our orange carpet reporter for when the express the movie premiered in downtown syracuse my my boss then my news director and gm ron lombard took a chance on me because he knew my background and the rest of the station's like we barely know this guy you're putting him as our our joan rivers basically uh had the time of my life uh, dennis quaid and all sorts of others we talked to yep uh, and we moved back to ohio in 09 for my wife's job and it was time to reinvent myself uh i kind of left the business full-time i i did uh, a lot of freelance work uh, Baldwin Wallace, which is a small university outside of Cleveland. My buddies, uh, Kevin Rupel and Jeff Miller and sports information there, they did games on uh, Sports Time Ohio. So they asked me if I'd go and, and do a lot of play-by-play. -play. Pretty sure I scored the first post-Ohio State television interview with Jim Tressel uh, after he left Ohio State in Scandal. Uh, he He's from Berea, which is where the school is. His father, Lee Tressel, was a legendary coach. I saw him in the stands before a game. Wow and said, I want him to come on. And they said, no. I said, I'm not doing your game today unless you go and ask him. And he came up and I said, coach, I said, I promise you, I'm not going to ask you one question about Ohio State. Let's focus on your time growing up in Berea and Mullen Wallace. He stayed an entire quarter. So that was just fabulous, nicest guy in the world. Wow. But then I said, okay, let's get, let's get re-educated. So I got a couple of master's degrees. Uh, I worked in higher education. Uh, I've worked in the private sector. I worked in government relations for a local regional chamber. What were the master's degrees in? Counselor education. 
uh, which I think uh, every broadcaster needs. Uh, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. I wish I had known that when I was younger. Uh, so the first was counselor education. That was at Westminster College. And then I got a second master's in public relations at Kent State. Yeah. So I was just, I, I, I went from broadcasting to PR. So I got some stink eye from some folks when they knew about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? They're, they're supposed to, it's kind of like AER and JPZ back in the day. You're not supposed to cross that picket fence, but I did. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, a little bit of rivalry there. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been all over the place, but now I'm, I'm pretty settled into marketing and public relations and, and communications. I, I still end see some events from time to time yeah uh you know once it's in your blood it's in your blood and uh oh yeah i was also an elected official for six years i was a city councilman i mentioned that off the top (laughs) tell me briefly about that yeah you know public service was always something i i was interested in i i uh i remember being in fifth grade at saint joe's elementary and uh they said what do you want to do i'm like i want to be the president now I know it's a god-awful job. It's the worst job in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but in fifth, in fifth grade in the 1980s, it was, you know, still had some respect for the office, no matter who held it, right? So, yep. uh, so there was always part of me that wanted to do it. And the, the town that we moved to here now is Ohio. They were dealing with a lot of issues. And right, yeah, yeah. to give you an idea, the, the mayor that was in office when we moved is halfway through a 10-year prison sentence. Jeez. So I'll leave it at that. Fair enough. So there was some change that needed to be made. So I, I tossed my hat in the ring and, and and went door to door in a town that I was not born and raised in. And I was told there's no way you're going to get elected. And three elections later, uh, I was still in office. So uh, I'm glad I did it. We got the city out of fiscal emergency. It's amazing when you do things the right way that you can fix things in life, which is what we did. Uh, it's just a good lesson to everybody. So uh, I, I don't regret it for one second. It's tough on your family. So what was the what was the official title? Was it a city councilor or was it? I, I was a, I was a uh, city councilman at large. So our town has four wards and then three at large. So I, I ran for an at large position. Okay, yeah. But th- I think that that experience helped the local regional chamber show interest in me to do their government relations work. So so I I resigned. Okay. Uh, a couple months before uh, my third term was up to work for them, conflicts of interest, you know. And uh, I I, uh, I found myself in Columbus a lot, our state capital here in Ohio, just just advocating legislators in the state house for for funding for projects. And yeah, uh, it all goes back honestly to to my communications background and and all that time at JPZ. To yeah, you know, we talked earlier about you know not just doing sports, and, and you know I. It might not be a direct correlation, but I know all the other things I did at that station years and years ago have allowed me to be flexible in my personal life. I mean, I'm probably on my fifth or sixth career now, but I think that's absolutely because you go outside your comfort zone and you know, a place like JPZ where you're all in, you're all each other's bosses, right? It is student run, student operated. There is... There is such a challenge to that, but there's such a beauty to that. Yeah. And you might not see the fruit bear from those experiences in your 20s or maybe even your 30s. But as you get older and you have to switch or you choose to switch personally, professionally, uh, I absolutely can look back on all that time and say, yeah, that that prepared me for for both the good and the bad. I mean, it is it is the greatest media classroom in the world. And I, I tell folks all the time, John, that... You know, one of the greatest lessons I got was a, a pretty bad one. You know, uh, it was the great election of 1995. Okay. And, uh, you know, us would-be seniors were, you know, up for a lot of, of senior staff positions. And uh, so I ran for sports director. And 
you know, I had a lot of folks, you know, basically in so many words, going with me to to size up the curtains and the wall sconces of the sports director's office. They're, <laughs> they're all like, I want to be. There was no actual sports director's office back then. We should clear. He's 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 he's, <laughs> he's making a metaphor here. I just wanted to say wall sconces. I mean, I had people coming up saying, hey, you know, I, I want to be your assistant. And you start believing this. But we had such a great incoming senior class. I mean, your Phil Sorter Ortiz is your Ray Curran, your James Steiners, your John Gushins. Uh, oh, gosh, I know I'm, 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 I'm missing a lot of folks, but, you know, thousands and thousands of hours that would be senior class. So I'm thinking, well, I feel confident, but if I don't get it, uh, man, one of these guys is going to get it and we're just going to crush it in 95, 96. And on election night, the call came particularly late. Yeah. It was after 11 o'clock. Uh, and the call came and said, uh, it's not you. Uh, in fact, it's not any of you in your class. Uh, and it went to a, a, a freshman at the time. Uh, and it was it was crushing at that point. And, uh, huh. oh, he's a, he was a great young man. There's no names to be had. Who was this freshman? Nice kid, but none of us actually knew him. Like, that's how inexperienced he was. Okay. So how the heck did he win? I was not privy to those conversations, John, so I, I, I don't know. All right, all right. Okay. Uh, all I know is my phone started ringing off the hook right. from current seniors saying, how did this happen? We're, we're so sorry. You got to stay. You can't leave. So, you know, a bunch of us may have had a case or two of beer and went to the quad and decided to let loose some steam. But I will say this, you know, it, it came down to, are we all going to leave or are we all going to stay and just make this place the best it can be. And we all stayed. And I I was talked into running for assistant sports director, which, which I got. Mm. Uh, and our senior class really, really led the way. And I, I was proud of how we did it. But I, I, I share this because, you know, that Michigan experience, my first job, four months in, I get tapped on the shoulder in the boss's office. There have been other professional experiences where I've been tapped on the shoulder and saying, listen, your services are no longer required. And it isn't because of the work you've done. It isn't because of the person you are. It's just life. It's business. It's this. It's that. <laughs> and I honestly think that right. that experience in 95 uh, was the absolute best thing that could have happened to me as an individual uh, in retrospect, because it just taught me, man, hey, this, you know, hey, hey, baby, it's the zig. Like this, 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 the zig's going to come and hit you when you least expect it. <laughs> you better, you better learn how to deal with it because you got to accept it, but you can't let it uh, envelop you. Yeah. Uh, and I was very proud of, of how our senior year went. We, we, we did some great things. And at the end of the day, a title's a title. Yeah. But the work is the work. I like that. And how you, how you approach your work, how you approach life is far more important than whatever's on a business card or if you get to run a meeting or not. Uh, so for that, I'm actually grateful in retrospect that the, 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 the world's greatest media classroom kicked us all in the teeth maybe years before we were ready for it. But, but man, I think it, 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 it really made us better people and professionals as a result. You have made one of my favorite points in the podcast so far, Ryan. And yes, we've talked about world's greatest media classroom. I always ask every guest what they've learned from their time at JPZ. But the point you made of lessons we learned as students, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, maybe we didn't realize they were lessons at the time, but how they served us into our 30s and 40s and beyond in some cases, that really is a, is a great point. And I wanted to you know, sort of put an exclamation mark on that. Before I, before I let you go, I do want to ask you about your time as president of not the JPZ Alumni Association, but the full 
full boat Grand Poobah Syracuse University Alumni Association. Take me behind the scenes. Tell me how you, you got involved and rose to the ranks and, and became president and, and what those duties entail, because I'm fascinated by this. You're the one. So thank you for that. No, <laughs> so, uh, I, I think I've, I've shared my, my, my love of the institution so far, but I, I really fell back in love. I mean, it never fell out of love with Syracuse, but I, I got reconnected once I, I started dating my now wife. You know, I was still in Ohio. She was in Syracuse. So I'd be going to Syracuse every couple of weekends to see her before I moved back. Yeah. And just, just being back in central New York, uh, and then visiting her on campus, you know, she's getting her doctorate, she's teaching and being back in that environment kind of got the juices going. So when we left in 09 and moved back to Northeast Ohio, I do remember that Cleveland area had a strong alumni club and I reached out to the university and said, hey, you know, I just, just literally just left Syracuse. I want to get involved back home. Can, can you give me some names? And they said, well, actually currently the alumni club is dormant. Huh. And it was a strong club. When I was a student, I used to speak at the new student send-offs in Cleveland, and I actually actively started recruiting students at JPZ before they stepped foot on campus. Yeah, Cleveland is one of those one of those cities where we always have a ton of classmates here. It was like Boston and New York and Philly and Jersey and Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Cleveland always had a significant presence. Yeah, I usually get about 40-plus students from the region, so I was very surprised. So that started a process working with, with the folks up in the Office of Alumni Engagement of, of trying to rebuild the club. So... We fast forward to a meeting on a Tuesday morning in early 2010, uh, the Council of Elders, as I call them. They were older <laughs> alums who I remembered when I was an undergrad uh, that I leaned upon. So we had breakfast at a place east of Cleveland called Corky and Lenny's. I remember mm-hmm. it off at 271. And uh, there's maybe eight or 10 of us. And we met at 8 a.m. because I was working part time and I had the time. And by 8.04, they said, well, uh, you are the new president, Ryan. Uh, the meeting is yours. I'm like, <laughs> I thought we were just going to talk. <laughs> uh, so, so that led to uh, rebuilding the club and events. Uh, so for four years, I ran the local club. Uh, and then some folks up in Syracuse, uh, even Mark Verone, JPZ alum, class of 95, former president of the... Former podcast guest. He talked about how you and he have infiltrated the uh, Greater Alumni Association on behalf of WJPZ. Yeah, exactly. So... Uh, you know, a few folks approached me and said, hey, would you be interested in serving on the national board? And I already had my successor picked out in Cleveland. Uh, so I said, sure. So they brought me on. Uh, and it's a it's two two year terms. So after my uh, my final year was was approaching the end, I thought, OK, well, I, I've served my institution. I'm ready to move on. And they tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, we need a vice president. Would you be willing to stay? We're not ready for you to end yet. I'm like, sure. So I served as one of two vice presidents. Uh, and I said, well, the hell with it. I've stuck with it this long. I, I might as well dip my toe in. You know, the wife gave me the blessing if I wanted to run. Uh, so I ran for president. And in true McNaughton fashion, of all the years, there was never more than one person who ran. I had an opponent, of course. Uh, but, you know, I won three local elections here in Niles. I, I know how to run a campaign. So <laughs> I, I, I was able to get just enough votes to be president. And uh, it's it's just been... The, the thrill and honor of a lifetime to, you know, I, I, this might not be the face that the university wants to represent, but I, I hope that my voice, uh, my passion lends itself. Uh, I look at it as being a, uh, uh, actually, uh, uh, Allison Mitchell in Atlanta. She does marketing. She's on the board now. And she describes us as engagement officers. She goes, Ryan, yeah. you're the chief, you're the CEO, you're the chief engagement officer. 
So I kind of look at the role as trying to engage alums. I, I share with folks, there's, there is no contractual obligation to stay involved with the university once you graduate. Same thing with JPZ, right? There's no contractual obligation to donate to the Alumni Association, to go back to banquets, to come back and do shifts. But should something have to be written in a contract to be meaningful, to be impactful? And I say no. Wow. Uh, so I tell the story about how I feel like my life has been enriched by staying involved with the university, by being a peer, by giving back time, talent. Sure, a little bit of treasure, not much, but every little bit counts. Uh, what, you know, this also gets me a seat on the board of trustees, which is just insane. At the end of the day, there's influential people and me, <laughs> but I, you get installed and, and I'm, um, I'm in front uh, wearing the lovely robe and the hat and the, the medal they give you. And you get to speak for a few minutes. And I had a speech written and I ripped it up because I heard a young, a young student in a meeting earlier today to speak to the heart about how philanthropy just, they made him able to go to school. And the same thing happened to me, right? We talked about that financial aid package earlier. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and I just, I, I just, I, I was an emotional wreck because I was just ad-libbing but I was able to do that because I'm a JPZ, right? And I just told folks, I told folks, I said, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, financial aid is why I was able to get here. My family is as blue collar as the the sky is sunny on a day, right? We're the bluest of blue collar families. And for decades, I've talked about these folks who are nameless and faceless, who allowed my parents to sacrifice everything so their kid could have something. Uh, but I'm fairly certain tonight I'm standing in front of you some folks who I've described so I can put names and faces. So if you ever think that your time, your talent, your treasure, if they don't matter, uh, exhibit A, you matter. You mean the world to me. You, you allowed me a small town, Ohio kid, to live his dreams. Uh, that's the type of passion that I try to instill in our alumni body to realize that uh, it's not, you don't have to write a check. Those are great. But man, if you can hire Orange, if you can provide an internship, yeah. if you can have a conversation with, with someone, if you could speak to a class, just something, mm -hmm. go to a game watch in your area just to feel the, 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 the revelry that is that Orange blood. Uh, you can do all of it. You can do some of it, but do something. So that's what I've tried to do. Uh, and hopefully what, what little legacy I can potentially leave with the office. That's, that's what I hope to do. That is an amazing place to leave it. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for all your contributions to JPZ and to Syracuse University as a whole. And let's see if we can get that uh, Syracuse UConn taper store. We need to make sure we have that for history. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you for everything, John. Go Orange. Go JPZ. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.